Well, welcome. Here we are, the 10th message in our series, Life Coach, Timeless Truths from a Trusted Mentor. Who's our mentor in the series? Who is it? The Apostle Paul. What's the book we're studying? Second Timothy. Second Timothy is the last book the Apostle Paul wrote before he was executed. And he's writing this book to Timothy. I don't know if you've ever mentored someone. Have you? Have you had that privilege? I have. Well, this is a book that Paul wrote as mentoring advice to Timothy, and yet to us by way of extension. Some 2,000 years later, we're studying this book because there are timeless principles, truths that come from this book that speak to our lives. I mean, we have the Apostle Paul as a mentor. That's an amazing thing. And he's sharing with us 15 mentoring lessons in this book, and today we summarize the the, the theme of this mentoring advice is be the Lord's servant. And we're going to just study four verses this morning. Yet in these four verses, I, I kind of picture this passage like, I can just picture Paul kind of like putting his arm around Timothy if he could see Timothy face to face and saying, Timothy, you're a young pastor. And what we want to talk about, Timothy, I want to share, this is so important that you learn to be God's servant. You see, Paul is looking at Timothy's life and he's thinking the years ahead for Timothy in ministry. Paul knew. You see, the key to having, watch this, a great marriage. You want to know what it is? You be the Lord's servant. The key to having a healthy family, you be the Lord's servant, each family member. The key to, to being a great employer or employee is be the Lord's servant. The key to having a successful, fruit-filled ministry is be the Lord's servant. The key to any relationship, be the Lord's servant. You see, Jesus talked about this. He gave us one of the most powerful verses about this that Paul is building on in this section in 2 Timothy. But Jesus said in Mark 10, 43, it's on your outlines. Let's read it out loud. This is the words of Jesus. Let's read the scripture out loud together. Can we do it? Whoever wants to become, oh, wait a minute, this is so weak. This is the Word of God, the words of Jesus. Let's please read this together, okay? Do you have it on your outlines? Here we go. Ready? Here it is. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Okay, you're at a table right now. Who's the greatest person at that, yeah, your table? Maybe there's six, seven, eight people. It's the greatest servant of all, is the greatest person at that table, according to Jesus. Wow. Now, listen to this advice, because what Paul does here is he gives us four ways to become a servant. I don't know what your marriage is like, your family is like, your relationships are like, but let me tell you, God brought you here this morning because if you grow as a servant, I guarantee all of that is going to go from here to there. But if you continue to live your life like, okay, I don't need to be God's servant, guess what? All that is going to go lower. The problems in life result when we're selfish and we're insensitive and we're not being God's servant. As a husband, as a wife, as a son, as a daughter, as an employee, as an employer, it doesn't matter. This is so key to success in any arena of life is being God's servant. Listen to what Paul says. This is what he says, verse 23 and following, 2 Timothy 2. 
Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. Because you know they produce quarrels. Some of you have been in stupid and foolish arguments this last week. Want to know why? You weren't God's servant. Who? And they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who's taken them captive to do his will. This is such a great scripture, and we have four amazing principles, key things that Paul gives Timothy and us here about becoming the Lord's servant in, every, in any area of life. Four keys. The first is this. The Lord's servant is lavish in kindness. See, if, if you want to begin being God's servant wherever, you've got to learn to become lavish in kindness, exceedingly generous in kindness. Let me give you a principle. You want to be successful anywhere in life? Watch this. Be kind to everyone and you'll be successful. You just will. Kind people. It is amazing how the doors open for them. And the foundation of kindness is an attitude of being a servant. One day uh, here a bit ago, Tracy got a flat tire. And we found it in the morning when she's ready to back out, and there her tire is flat. So I jack up the car, take the tire off, and I bring it to the tire shop at the bottom of the hill here at the church. And as I walk in and I show the tire to the gentleman, he looks at it and he goes, wow, I can tell this is kind of worn. You're going to need a new tire. And I'm like, he could tell on my face. I'm like, I didn't want to buy a new tire. And he goes, big old smile comes on his face, and he goes, you know, I might have a used kind of new one just in this size. He goes, let's go look. And so he, I, he goes, follow me. And we, we go to four different places in the shop, and finally he finds this one tire way up there. He gets up on a ladder, brings it down. He goes, this is the match. And it was like $29.99, you know? And I'm like, big old smile. I mean, this is a guy that showed me lavish kindness. He went the extra mile. Wow. Now watch this. It's easy to be kind to kind people. <laughs> it's challenging to be kind to unkind people. But the Lord's servant, watch this, is kind to everyone. I mean, if you become that, your life will change. Your family will change. The temptation, you see, with unkind people is to argue with them. Listen to Paul's advice to Timothy and to us. Look, look, at, look at that verse 23. Again, he says, don't uh, have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know that they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone. You'd think by this time in our lives, as old as we are, We'd learn the lesson of not arguing about stupid things and being kind to everyone. A bit ago, I'm on vacation, and what I like to do on vacation is what I like to do just like you. I'm into golfing. And so I'm on like the 16th hole. I'm in the fairway. I hit my drive, and I'm ready to hit my approach shot. I've got a five iron about 170 yards out, and I'm getting ready to hit this shot. And the group behind me on the tee box, the guy starts screaming at me. I mean, he's just like, get off the fairway. I mean, he's yelling at me. And I'm like, this is my fairway. 
I mean, I just hit the ball here. I'm like 250, 60 yards out, and, and, and he's just screaming. I'm like looking back at him going, what in the world? And I'm just, I'm, I'm like, that's completely inappropriate. And I'm, I'm starting to, my blood's starting to boil, and I'm like, I want to go over there and wrap my five iron around his neck. But I'm like, that wouldn't be too pastoral. But then I thought, yeah, but I could do his funeral for free because I'm licensed, you know? I'm thinking, no, that probably wouldn't be the way to go. So I just kind of bite my tongue. I try to hit my shot as the guy is screaming at me. So I get up to the, you know, I'm starting to putt. And, and this guy, finally, he drives up in his cart and he just comes up to me. He's like bowing down. I'm so sorry. I apologize. He goes, I thought you were someone different from a different group that was in the wrong fairway. And I'm like, you've been seeing me golf in front of you for the last 14 holes. I had, but I just showed him grace and I said, no problem, I understand. It's so easy, though, to get into foolish arguments, isn't it? Look at Paul's command again there in verse 23. Timothy, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because they produce quarrels. Now watch this. Paul is not saying, he's not saying don't have healthy, good arguments that lead to good, productive insight and wisdom and an understanding. Paul is saying don't have foolish, stupid arguments that lead to quarreling and fighting. And by the word, way, the word foolish is the Greek word moros, from which we get the word moron. The Lord's servant needs to learn to be, watch this, discerning about what is a healthy argument and what is a foolish and stupid argument that makes you look stupid and like a moron because you went there. Are you following me? And we've all been there in our marriages, in our families, I mean, at work, and it's like, why did I go there? Why did I take the bait? You see, the Lord's servant doesn't take the bait. They learn. Proverbs 26, 4 says, do not answer a fool according to his folly or you will be like him yourself. Don't go there. You don't go there. You be a servant. Don't go there. So when someone wants to argue with you about something foolish or stupid, the Lord's servant, he just doesn't go there. What does the Lord's servant do? Well, verse 24 says, the Lord's servant must not quarrel. He must be kind to everyone. Show them kindness is what Paul is encouraging Timothy to do. A few months ago, Tracy and I were at a conference at Saddleback Church, and uh, on the way back on the freeway, we were in kind of bumper-to-bumper traffic. We weren't going fast, but a car rear-ended us. We got rear-ended. Boom. And so you kind of, you know, it's an awkward moment. You kind of pull over to the side of the road, and I'm making sure I'm looking at my rear view. Okay, he's pulling over. And then you... And then Tracy calls 911. I go, we need a police report. So she's calling, and, and, and I get out. It's kind of, a, you know, what are you going to meet? Some psycho, you know? And, it's, and so I walk out, and I meet the guy, and I'm like, how you doing? And, and we start talking, and, you know, and, uh, you know, we know the police are on the way. And we're just kind of sitting there on the freeway, and I thought, well, this is a great opportunity. And so I'm like, hey, so I'm Mark. What's your name? Aaron. And I go, so tell me about your family. And, and so we're talking, and... Well, tell what do you do for a living? And then he's asking me what I'm doing. And by the time the cops get there, I mean, seriously, we hit it off. We're friends. And then it's an awkward moment for the cop to get out of his car. He's like, what am I going to come into? And he's walking up. He's kind of reading our faces. And I'm like, I start, I go, hey, how you doing? I'm Mark. What's your name? I go, actually, this is Aaron. And we're, we're friends now. And, uh, 
hey, I'm not always that way. But that wasn't an argument that I should have started. Be kind to people, grace people. That's what it means to be a servant. And see, this is what Paul's talking to Timothy and us about. Imagine the difference it would make in our lives, in our families, at work, wherever, if we learned to be lavish in kindness, not to lash out, arguing, fighting. That's what it means to be the Lord's servant. First point. I like you to talk about this at your tables. Why is it wise, but often challenging, to show lavish kindness to everyone? Talk about that. Go for it. Okay, we're looking at four keys, four keys to being the Lord's servant. How can we become the Lord's servant? Such an important thing that we learn in life for any relationship. Number one, we've got to learn to be lavish in kindness. Rather than fighting, show kindness. Huge, huge area. Second is this, the Lord's servant is helpful in teaching. You see, a second way we can become the Lord's servant, according to Paul, is that we become helpful in imparting knowledge, truth, understanding, expertise that we have. We we give it away freely to others. You look at verse 24, Paul says, And the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone. And then look at this, able to what? Teach. That's one Greek word, that phrase, able to teach, and it literally means skilled in teaching. Skilled in teaching. See, a key to success in any relationship is giving away to others what you know will be helpful. That's what it means to be able to teach. You're skilled in giving away to others what is helpful. And this can take place with anyone at any time. Let me ask you a question. Are you skilled at doing this? Because if you are, you are going to go high as a parent, in marriage, as an employee. But if you do not know how to give away the knowledge that you have, you are going to struggle in every area of your life. You see, people who are successful in any arena are lavish in kindness, but they're also helpful in teaching. This last uh, Thursday, uh, my day off. I golf early in the morning, and then I go home and do all the chores, and actually I spend time with my dad every Thursday. We have an appointment. We read the Bible and pray together. But I'm golfing, and I, I meet a, a young man. Well, for me, he's a young man. He's 32 years old. That's a young man now, okay? And, and his name is Andrew. Here's a picture of Andrew, actually. And uh, Andrew, just a great guy, and, you know, he's getting married. And he's like, he found out, you know, we just had our 30-year anniversary. And he's like, Mark, Pastor Mark, you know, yeah, to God be the glory. 30 years she's put up with me, you know. I mean, hey. But, uh, you know, so he's like, man, what can you share with me about marriage? I've got this great gal and all this. And so we just start talking. And I'm trying to give him some nuggets. And, and then, you know, he's like, boy, you know, I'd love more. I mean, he's so hungry to receive information about how we can better his life and prepare for marriage. I'm like, let me give you a DVD series and I'll be giving that to him. But this is how we should live our lives, giving away what God has given you. There are so many people you're around all the time who sometimes we forget what God has given us to pass on, but servants pass that on. A few months prior, I I had the privilege of golfing with Hensley Mullins. Here's a picture of Hensley. 
He's the batting coach for the San Francisco Giants. Big dude. Guy could hit the ball a mile. And it was a privilege to spend time with this guy and pick his brain. I asked him so many questions. And uh, one of the questions I said is, so, and he's led the Giants to a couple World Series. I mean, he teaches some of the greatest hitters in baseball. And uh, so I, I just said, what's the key to being a great coach, you know, batting coach? And he said, well, you've got to have knowledge. But then he said this, the most important thing, timing. Timing. Because your ti- every player is different on the Giants when you can talk to them. Buster Posey, he wants to know immediately anything that I see. And he's the most teachable player on the San Francisco Giants. And that's why he's one of the greatest hitters in baseball. Because he's so teachable. Question, are you teachable? But it's timing when it's about giving information out. If you're a husband or a wife and you need to see something in your spouse, hey, you may have the knowledge, but it's timing in their lives or with your kids. So being someone who's helpful in teaching, there are three qualities that make you skilled in teaching as God's servant. And let me give these to you. Number one is knowledge. You've got to have some knowledge. Number two is timing. And number three is that it's helpful. So if you're a mom or a dad, you can apply this with your kids. You have knowledge. You have more knowledge of them. You're their parent. But the timing is so important as parents. Make sure it's not an emotionally charged environment when you want to talk to your son or daughter. And make sure what you're going to share is helpful to them. Because you may have knowledge, but if the timing's not right, it's going to blow up. And if what you're sharing is critical and not helpful and they don't perceive it as helpful, it's going to blow up. And you as a parent... You need to become skilled as a teacher. And, and it's the same thing in our relationships as with, with marriage. We may have knowledge as a wife. You may have more knowledge than your husband in a certain area. Make sure the timing that you deliver that and, and is appropriate and that it's helpful. And it can be the same as an employee with your customers, your friends, a Christian with a non-Christian. You've got knowledge about the gospel. Make sure the timing's right. And make sure it's helpful. It's actually answering something they're, they're questioning. You don't want to impose. Wow. That's, you, you have that, if you learn this skill, what an, a, a reflection of being God's servant this is in your life. I don't know if you've ever been way in way over your head. I mean, there's many times I'm in way over my head as a pastor, but there was one time in 1994 where I was to the point of tears way over my head. We knew back then we could not afford to buy a house. And so we felt, because I had a background of uh, construction growing up, and I was always planning on being a builder of homes, and the Lord got a hold of me, saved me, and said, no, you're going to build people. And yet, I always kind of had a thought, well, maybe one day I could design and build our own home, and so I did design it. And it's a long story, but I had, you know, we decided, okay, we're going to build our home. And I talked to the church about it, and and they were willing to give me some time, you know, you just need to do your job, but then on top of it, in the evening, so for 16 months, you know, but I, I, I worked on this home every single day, along with many people, many others helped. But I remember when I got the plans, uh, and I, I'm sitting, and we bought the lot, and I literally have the plans spread out in front of me, and I am 
freaking out, going, are you kidding me? I'm a dad with little kids. I'm leading three ministries at our church, preaching three times a week. And I'm like, how am I going to do this? And I'm just freaking out. I'm, tears are coming down. And the phone rings. And it's my friend, Steve Westron. Steve had no idea what I was going through at the moment, but the Lord led him. It was one of the greatest phone calls I've ever received. Steve's on the other line. I mean, a professional contractor. And he says, Mark, he goes, I know what you're dealing with. He goes, I just want you to know, whatever you need, I'm here. And I, that, that was the greatest call I've ever received. I, don't know, I think Steve is here this morning. And it's so ministered to me. And sometimes it's not even the knowledge, but just offering it to someone where you're such a servant in that area. See, this is what Paul's saying. He's saying, you want to be a person that, that just is God's man, God's woman. You've got to be lavish in kindness and helpful with your teaching, and it will go so far in life. I'd like you to talk about this at your tables. Who is someone who has modeled being helpful in teaching to you? Talk about that. Okay, we are looking at four, four keys to becoming the Lord's servant, whether in your marriage, your family, work, does not matter. The first is that God's servant is lavish in kindness. Second, they are helpful in teaching. And third, the Lord's servant is forgiving in hearts. Now, when you're around people, eventually things are going to get tough. And you're going to have your feelings get hurt. And especially when you're around people who are relentlessly arguing with you, opposing you, push, putting you down, slandering you, it's very easy to get resentful and bitter toward them. And Paul knew this about Timothy because Paul knew Ephesus. Some of you have been with me to Ephesus. And you've got to think, 2,000 years prior to the ruins that we saw at Ephesus, how that was a bustling community Greek culture, and there was arguing and bittering, bickering going on there at a level that Timothy was taking a lot of heat, and a, there was a lot of problems that were coming his way. And there were some real, some real cantankerous and disrespectful people that were attacking Timothy. And some of you, even this last week, you're feeling like you're being attacked. Maybe it's your marriage, something at work. I mean, this goes on in life. And the question becomes, well, what do you do? with that attack? How can you be God's servant in the midst of that? Look what Paul wrote in the book of Acts, or what's recorded there. Paul said, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. I mean, there's going to be some animals that are going to come after you in Ephesus. Now, we're not told of the exact nature of the fighting in the book of Acts, nor are we told the exact nature of the fighting in the book of 2 Timothy. We only know that it was getting ugly. And the temptation, regardless of the issue, is to become resentful and bitter toward people who are opposing you. And it's the same for us today, right? Opposition, um, it's going to come, and it, it can come at you in ways you never dreamed possible or you never imagined. And some of you are there right now. You never imagined in your life that you would be where you're at now facing the opposition you're facing. And we see this all the time. As a pastor, I hear stories constantly 
about this. And I read stories. Here's a picture of a guy named um, Frederick Desnard that I just read this story. This is amazing because I'm like, are you kidding me? So let me just read this. Um, For seven months, he's a middle manager, uh, literally who worked in a French perfume company. And uh, he refused to come to work claiming he was ill for seven months. And then he, he said that his health problems, insomnia and ulcers and epilepsy and others were uh, due to his company offering him too little work to perform. And he said, quote, I felt guilty and ashamed to earn a salary for nothing. And he was making $90,000 a year. And he's claiming that because the article is titled Bored Sick. So he is suing now his company. This is what it says. Desnard filed a lawsuit against his company alleging that the job bored him to the point of sickness. And he's suing his company for $400,000. I'm like, this company, they're receiving opposition in a way that they never dreamed it would happen. And I'm just like, that's illustrative of what you may be experiencing in your own life. You never saw this coming. It's so out of the ballpark that someone could attack you for this. It doesn't even make sense. That's crazy. It's lunacy. And yet, it happens. And Paul knew it was going to happen for Timothy. And watch this. Whenever we get hit by opposition, this is the thing. You can turn bitter or better. You can be on a track that leads to deeper and deeper bitterness and resentment and anger toward that opposition, or you can go on a track that's going to get you better. And as God's servant, you want to get on a track that will keep you healthy. So notice what Paul says to Timothy about being the Lord's servant. He says there in verse 24, the Lord's servant must not be resentful. Wow. So let me ask you a question. How are you doing in your heart? Is there resentment building up because of something you faced, something someone said, something someone did, something someone didn't say or didn't do, and and there's just, maybe no one else knows it here, but you and God know it, and there's this resentment, this bitterness, this acid that's leaking into your soul because you have felt like you have been unjustly treated and you aren't letting it go, and it's just this buildup, you see? And Paul is saying, Timothy, you are going to face opposition. You're going to get those hits. But Timothy, don't turn bitter. Be the Lord's servant, even in those situations. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 12, 15, see to it that no bitter root, what a picture, a bitter root, grows up and causes trouble and defiles many. We've all seen roots. Remember as a kid, you did that little, took a seed and saw it go down in a plastic container or a milk carton. Is there a bitter root that's going down in your soul because of something, beloved, you don't want that to take place. God wants to protect you of that. And the only way you're going to deal with that is by saying, okay, Lord, I'm willing to be your servant. Resentment is something we have to guard against as the Lord's servant. You say, how? The Bible only teaches one way to deal with resentment and bitterness. It's this, forgiveness. You got to forgive that person. You say, they don't deserve forgiveness. You should have seen what they've done. Yeah, but do you deserve the forgiveness of God? Look how God has forgiven you. 
You love God's forgiveness, but you're not willing to forgive someone else? What a hypocrite. What does Ephesians 4, 31 to 32 say? Get rid of all bitterness. That, that's you as a servant. You've got to get rid of this poison. Get rid of all bitterness. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other just as Christ God forgave you. How did Jesus forgive you? Completely, totally, unconditionally. And we're called to do the same for others. Wow. Paul is talking to Timothy about this. If you want to be a servant, let me tell you, if you've got bitterness in your life, you'll never be lavish in kindness, and you will not be helpful in teaching. That bitterness will hold you back from being God's servant. You don't want that. That's Satan trying to get a foothold in your life. I'm not saying you haven't been hurt. You've been hurt. All of us have been hurt. Some of you have been hurt so badly but you're continuing to hurt yourself by holding on to that pain regardless of whatever it is. It doesn't matter the abuse. I'll give it to the Lord and find the healing that he will. Don't hang on to it. Jesus said in Matthew 18, Lord, how many times, Peter came to Jesus, shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. He was saying, let it be an infinite amount of times because that's the amount of times God forgives you. Now remember, there is a big difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. Forgiveness is an act in your heart that you come before God and you forgive that person. Reconciliation, that's completely something different. Reconciliation is a process that you're willing to go to restore the relationship, but it's conditional based on that person. God doesn't call you to be a, a doormat. He calls you to forgive the person who may have stomped on you, but he's not calling you to restore that relationship with them. Forgiveness is you and God in your hearts. That's what you're called to do, forgive, and find the cleansing of that sin of resentment. But then reconciliation, that's totally different. That's, are they willing to meet you? Are they willing to change? If not, you don't reconcile. That would be foolish. But forgiveness is a totally different thing. Hopefully that's clear in your mind. Paul's talking to Timothy. So I'll tell you, as a pastor, um, for the most part, Three Crosses is an amazing church. But there are people that take shots at us that are wicked and evil and of the devil and things that I wouldn't even talk about. And, but guess what? Hallelujah, there's nothing that's underneath my skin. There's no root of bitterness here. I mean, I would never let that happen. I pray not. Because it would affect me being lavish in kindness. It would affect me being helpful in teaching. And it's sin to harbor that sin. It would prevent me from worshiping God and loving people. And it's hard, I know, to deal with that. But it's even harder to maintain bitterness. It ruins you. Eventually, you got to deal with it. I'd like someone to talk about this at your table. Can you share about a time when you forgave? It was not easy, but you forgave. You got rid of that bitterness so as not to become resentful. Someone tell a story at your table. Go for it. Okay, four keys. Four keys to being the Lord's servant. Number one, we're lavish in kindness. Number two, helpful in teaching. Number three, forgiving in hearts. 
the last thing Paul talks to us about is being gentle in conversation. I mean, this is not easy. It's just not. Uh, But this is how we become the Lord's servant. See, the temptation with those who are yelling at us is to yell back at them and actually take it up an octave. Are you following me? Uh, To match or exceed their volume. Okay? But listen to what Paul tells Timothy and us there in verse 25. Those who oppose him, or if you have someone who opposes you, you must be gentle. Be gentle. In the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth. So if I, if I encounter someone who opposes me, and that happens actually quite often as a pastor, my role as the Lord's servant is to gently instruct to the degree that they are receptive to that instruction. So the principle is this. You never want to oppose an opposer. You see, as soon as I lose my gentleness with an opposer, the conversation becomes emotionally charged. And in an emotionally charged conversation, there is virtually no possibility that that person will repent and come to the knowledge of the truth. And so let me give you some illustrations of opposers that uh, this last Christmas, I'm serving in the New Believers area. And a person comes to me after... Uh, the Christmas production, and they are agitated. And he comes right into my face and he says, I just can't believe that you guys would show something like this. That God would allow his son to come into this world and live this kind of life and then die on a cross. I don't believe that. That's not love. That's murder. How could God do that to his son? And he was irate. And I'm like, well... I go, I can understand from a certain vantage point. But I go, have you read the Bible? Yes, I've read the Bible from cover to cover. Have you read the New Testament? Oh, yes. And I I said, have you read John 3.16? Oh, I know that. I said, well, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God gave his son because of love. What do you say about that? I mean, what's your thinking? I don't believe it, you know, all this And I'm like, you just give people enough to where they can handle. That's what we're called to do. We're not called to oppose someone who's opposing us. The other day, I'm golfing with a gentleman. By the way, on the golf course, I have four hours to share the gospel with people week after week after week after week. It is an amazing environment for me to share my faith. So I'm meeting with this guy named Bob, and he finds out I'm a pastor, and he says, Pastor Mark, I just want you to know that I believe in the golden rule. He goes, I believe that if you're just good to your fellow man, that one day when you get to heaven, it's going to be all good with God. And so then I'm like, okay. I'm like, well, and he kind of said it with attitude, and I'm like, okay, Lord, I'm not going to let this round finish without me at least sharing also the truth. And so I came up to Bob, and I go, Bob, you know that thing that you shared last hole? I go, you know, Jesus was the one who spoke the golden rule. That it, he, he's the one who, who said that. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And, and yet, Jesus said that as a way to honor God, not as a way to get to heaven. I go, that's not how we're saved and how we get to heaven. That's how we honor God, by being good to our fellow man. 
I go, you think about it, Bob. I go, if that's how we get to heaven, why would Jesus have to die on a cross for our sins? No, no, no. Jesus died on a cross because we're sinners, and the way to salvation is through repentance and trust in Jesus, and we're saved as we put our faith in Jesus. And he just kind of thought about that. And he was teachable. His spirit was, hmm, and he just thought about that. You're going to meet people all the time who will oppose you. And, and the Bible says here, be gentle with them. The Lord's servant, you see, is not out to win arguments. You're out to win souls. And if you try to win an argument with an opposer, you're going to lose their soul. Because it'll become so emotionally charged. The Bible does not talk about trying to dialogue with someone in an argument. It just, it, as a matter of fact, it's actually condemned right here. But we slip into that area as God's servants probably all the time. We kind of blow it. Proverbs 5, 15.1 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Wow, gentle answer. You know, what else, else helps us cultivate gentleness in our conversation with opposers? When I meet someone who opposes the Bible or Christianity or me or whatever, it's, it's very easy to get riled up and defensive, but we need to remember what our, our mentor is teaching us. Look again at verse 25 and verse 26. He says, those who oppose you, you must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth. And, and hope that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. We need to remember, only God can cause this person who's opposing the gospel to come to the knowledge of the truth and come to their sentence, their senses and realize they're being held captive by Satan. No argument is going to change that. Only God and his working in their life can do a miracle. God is the miracle worker. What's my job? Be gentle. Be willing to spoon feed them to the degree they're willing to receive it, but no more to where you escalate and the argument becomes you know, like this. That, that's just, that's not what God's servant is called to do. I mean, one of the greatest illustrations of this is in Mark chapter 5 with the Gadarene demoniac. I mean, here is a guy literally possessed by a legion of demons, and a legion is 6,000. We don't know how many demons were in this guy, but he's literally living in a graveyard. He's cutting himself. He is shunned from society. They tried to shackle him. He broke supernatural power. He broke the shackles off. And Jesus comes to him, and the demons begin speaking out of him. And the demons say, send, don't send us into the abyss. Send us into that herd of swine. And Jesus, very gentle. You look at the, it's not a, it's not a power encounter at all. There's no fists. If Jesus is so gentle, he says, let it be done. I mean, just this gentle, and, and those demons leave and go into the herd of pigs, and those pigs run down the hill and they die in the Sea of Galilee, and then the whole village comes out to look at this scene. In Mark 5.15, they saw the man who had been possessed by a legion of demons sitting there dressed in his right mind. Let me tell you, only God can make, watch this, your husband, your wife, that co-worker, dressed and in their right mind when it comes to Jesus. Don't fight with them. Don't argue with them. They're just going to dig their heels in deeper and push you farther away. You've got to be the Lord's servant, lavish in kindness. 
helpful in instruction, not getting bitter toward them, and being gentle in your conversation around them. That's the Lord's servant in that environment, and it's not easy. We all blow it in that area. My job as the Lord's servant is just to be gentle. 1 Peter 3.15, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But watch this. But do this with gentleness and respect. Wow. Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. I want to talk to the wives here a little bit. Ladies, let me just talk to you. I want to encourage you. Um, some of you ladies here, you're married, and you're married to a man who doesn't know Jesus. And I, I know many of you, not all of you, who are in that situation, or if you're watching on video right now. And God has an encouraging word for you. And, and listen to what God's word says. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, here you have a husband who doesn't know Christ, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should come not come from outward adornments such as the braiding of hair and the wearing of gold, jewelry, and fine clothes. Nothing wrong with that. But Peter is saying, no, no, no. The real issue here is a spiritual issue with your husband. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. You need to understand the stories I've heard from non-Christian men who have come to Christ, and the reason why is because they have a wife that is gentle. The biggest thing that turns men away is a wife that just is in their face, bickering, fighting, unchristlike. I just want you to know, ladies, he may be trying to pick fights with you. He's trying to test your faith. It's not easy. But as you show a gentleness as God's servant toward him, this is what the Bible says, you will win him. And I've talked to husbands. There are some of you here right now who are husbands that have been won to Christ because of your wife and the gentleness. You tried to argue with her. You tried to pick fights with her. And she didn't go there. She served you. And she had this gentle spirit. Oh, that is of great worth. That's God's call in your life. Not easy. But it is part of what your mentor, Paul, is mentoring you right now with. This is a life coach thing, to be God's servant. Lord's servant is gentle in conversation. Talk about this at your tables. Why is it wise but difficult to be gentle in our conversation toward opposers? Go for it. Okay, let me wrap this up, guys. This is the 10th, the 10th Life lesson from the Apostle Paul. Be the Lord's servant. I mean, why is this so important? Again, Jesus said, whoever wants to become great, you want a great marriage? You want a great family? You want to be a great employee? Want to be a great Christian? You got to be a servant. Watch this. The problems we face in our marriages and our families, it all comes down. We are not the Lord's servants. That is the the root of all the problems in the world today. If everyone in France were the Lord's servants, none of that would happen. If all of us in our families were the Lord's servants, no divorce would ever happen. 
And you can just, it, this is basic, foundational, but so like, Lord, I need your grace. I need your strength. And Paul gives us four ways that this happens. And, and this is what I want to pray over you. I want you to pray this over me. I have a funeral today at 2 o'clock. I want to go in there and be the Lord's servant. I need prayer, God's grace. I'd rather be home with my family today. It's not God's call in my life. I'm saying that facetiously. No, honestly, I can't wait to get there to see what God's going to do in that midst. But what about you? Can you not wait to get back to your marriage, your family, work to see what God might do if you become his servant? Watch this. Miracles happen when we become God's servant. I'm, I'm trying to do everything I can. I'm like, Holy Spirit, speak to me right now. I need to give my people, these people, your people, a vision for what this does in their life. These four things. Let's look at these. Be lavish in kindness, helpful in teaching, forgiving in heart, gentle in conversation. Let's just be honest. Between, on a scale of 1 to 10, how are you doing those areas right now? This last week, how are you doing that most important relationship right now in your life? Question, scale 1 to 10, are you lavish in kindness? I'm not asking, is he or she lavish? I'm saying, are you, as God's servant, willing to go back and be lavish in kindness to that husband, that wife, that kid, that employer, that boss, whatever? Paul is saying, listen, Timothy, learn this lesson in your life. Be God's servant. If you want to do that, you've got to be lavish in kindness. You've got to be helpful in teaching. Are you willing to be helpful in teaching in that situation? Watch the timing. Make sure it's helpful. Are you willing to be forgiven in hearts? Scale one to 10. Is there bitterness in your life? Are you willing to get rid of that poison? Because if so, your life will change. Literally, it'll change. Are you willing to be gentle in conversation? These are powerful principles. Here's, here's the game changer challenge. What would happen if you selected one person this week and surprised them by serving them in these four ways? What if you just selected one person, a spouse or a coworker? Don't tell them, surprise them. Just see what will happen if you actually follow the word of God and toward them, you just start being lavish in kindness, helpful in teaching, forgiven in heart, gentle in conversation. You do that this week will be amazing. Let's pray. Father, Lord Jesus, thank you that you've called us to be your servants. Uh, we hear that term all the time, but Lord, if we really live this out, I mean, th this is profound. The implications are huge for our marriages, our families, relationships. What a difference this will make in any marriage, any family. So Lord, by your power and in your grace, allow us to be lavish in kindness, to be willing to impart to others something that's helpful, to forgive someone if we're harboring resentment, and to be gentle in our conversation, even with those who oppose us. Help us in your strength to be the Lord's servant this week. Would you just pray a prayer like that in your own heart, just coming before the Lord, just praying that simple prayer.
Thank you for your word. Thank you for the prayers of your people. I just pray for exciting things to happen this week, Lord. Thank you. All God's people said.